0: Paul starts off here in 2 Corinthians 3, as it were, trying to justify himself, but not in the way that we might uh, justify ourselves. These Corinthians are very critical of him and they were basically saying, we're not going to have you unless you have a letter of commendation to come to us. And so he, he talks about how he doesn't feel that he needs to have any letter of commendation from anybody because basically God has commended him. And he it says there in, in verse 5 we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of, of, about ourselves we are sinners, we are weak we are limited in so many ways we're so dysfunctional we can't have a high opinion of ourselves but our sufficiency or our worthiness is of God who has uh, who also verse 6 has made us That the AV says able ministers and the word translated there able the Greek word is the same as sufficiency there in verse 5 so it's a poor translation in the King James God has made us sufficient ministers of the New Testament and you've got the same word again in chapter 2 verse 16 who is sufficient for these things who has been made sufficient and now he's going on in chapter 3 to explain that in fact we are made sufficient by God now through baptism into Christ, we entered into this new status of being in Christ, and all that was true of Jesus is now true of us. So then, He of course was ultimately sufficient, the, the worthy One, and that is counted to us, and so we are made sufficient to be ministers and uh, of the of the New Covenant. And yet, in Romans fifteen verse eight and Hebrews eight verse two, and you may like to jot those down next to. Uh, this phrase in verse six, ministers of the new the, the new covenant, uh, Romans fifteen eight, Hebrews eight verse two, the minister of the new covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he says that he has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Uh, incidentally, I think it's building on the idea of Joshua, of course Jesus, same same word in the Old uh, Testament, being the minister. If you want the reference, it's Joshua 1, verse 1, and Exodus 24, verse 13. So then, all that's true of Jesus is in some sense true of us, if we are in him. As he was the seed of Abraham, so are we. Uh, As he was the light of the world, so we should be the light of the world. And so, as he was the minister of the new covenant, so are we. And we have been made sufficient, made capable, made adequate, because of that. So then it seems to me that generally in life unless we have somebody or something or some organization or or just something uh, positively affirming us outside of ourselves, we will probably not get very far in life unless we are basically extremely conceited and have an extremely uh, high sense of of value that we just take from ourselves and our our own pride and that also will lead to a fall in the end. So then, without this sort of positive confidence that's given by somebody, some form of affirmation, we are unable to do any task well. And I think that's particularly true of spiritually ministering to others. But that confidence, as he says, is not of ourselves, verse 5. We are not capable, we are not sufficient of ourselves, but we are made sufficient. And we need to think about that because... When we ask ourselves, why don't I, for example, preach more, why don't I care more, why don't I I do this or do that, I I sort of kind of want to, but then I think, no, I can't. What's the the brakes that keep going on? What is is it that holds us back? I don't think it's simply laziness. I think it may well be this lack of a positive uh, affirmation that we fail to feel as we should do because we're in Christ. Now, God is affirming us. And there was Paul, who was uh, only a human being like the rest of us, uh, hurting, I guess, because of these Corinthians saying, ah, oh, you know, unless you've got a letter from somebody or other, unless some church or some ecclesia or some committee uh, writes you a letter uh, that says, you know, we commend you, then we, we don't want to know you, even though he'd uh, converted them in the first place. But he, he says, no, I don't, don't mind that. It's nothing to do with it, because I have been made sufficient. Because I am in Christ. And so all around us there are voices, although they may not be articulated in so many words, there are voices telling us, you're no good. You're not the prettiest. You're not the smartest. You're not the cleverest. You're not the most active, the most capable. And yet, against all that, there is God affirming us, making us sufficient, because we are in Christ. And God seems to love working through people who are, humanly speaking, not sufficient. Just look at the book of Judges. All those guys that God used there, there was something the matter with them. One was the, the son of a prostitute. The other guy was left-handed, which would have been considered something weird and strange and inadequate. And you know, they all had their their problem. Gideon uh, felt that he, he was... Uh, just not a very mighty man and he wasn't the right guy for the job and God says go and this your strength that is your strength God just loves this you know David and Goliath he chooses the young guy he chooses the, the sling stone over against the, the sharp sword and, and spear uh, of Goliath this is how God loves to work and you and I are the same inadequate on our, on our own, not sufficient of ourselves to do anything. But we are made sufficient. And you know, God has a hope in us. He has a hope for us. He hopes and has an intention. You know, as Peter says, that are good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them, that we should achieve them, we should do them. It may be just, in, uh, the, uh, in between the commas, just, helping one person at one time in our lives that we are intended to be the one who sits down with that person at a at a meeting just in life or whatever and is a comfort to them is a strength to them you know god has prepared all these things for us so all that is true of jesus is true of us we are god's mechanism in this world and when you look at us as a community of believers we seem so weak this one is too caught up with his business that one is too caught up with her image that one is a gossip that one is totally dysfunctional that one is hopelessly naive sure, that's us and yet that's exactly that it makes perfect sense that we should be such a humanly speaking dysfunctional community because that is how God functions through the dysfunctional who are made sufficient and this puts an end once and for all to the idea that I am I I can't do that. No, I, I can't. You you are made sufficient. You, you are sufficient. And so no matter what we hear, in so many words and indirectly, not in so many words, that you are not sufficient. Doesn't matter. Show me your letter, show me your qualification. I don't have one. That's not a problem. That is exactly who God is working through. And so Paul goes on, he he starts the idea there in verse 6 about ministering. He says that we have been made able or sufficient ministers of the new covenant because we're in Christ who is the minister of the new covenant. Now Paul is not just rambling here in Corinthians, he has a very specific aim in mind. And If you follow through that word ministry, it's translated different ways in most English Bibles. It's a major theme throughout Corinthians. In our chapters here, in chapters 3 and 4, he talks about uh, the fact that we are associated with the New Covenant, which is uh, a ministry of glory, and he talks in verse 8 about the ministration of the Spirit, which is glorious, and we are connected, as he shows at the end of chapter 3, we're connected with that glory. And so he, uh, he, he moves forward then later on to talk about how This ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. And then he gets very practical later on in 2 Corinthians and starts talking about ministering to the poor believers. And he's, as you know, trying to whip up uh, a collection, basically, for the poor believers who were suffering from famine in Judea. And he's saying that that is a ministry which has got to be... uh, carried out by us. And so he starts here quite early on in 2 Corinthians saying that we have been made sufficient for that. And when we see or hear of need, we tend to think, oh yeah, it's not for me, I don't have any spare money, I can't do anything, oh yeah, those poor people, yep. And then, well, we're on with the next thing that, you know, the the cat puked on the carpet or or whatever, and and so our our minds go. But we are sufficient, and this is, I think, his whole point to these Corinthians. You know, he said not many of you are Wise, mighty, wealthy in this world, but you can do something. And that's his, that's his point. And so he starts here with this more sort of theological kind of background, that God has ministered to us. God has ministered gloriously to, to us, and we therefore are to minister in response. And he says in verse four, as we have, as we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, so we continue. The fact that we've received God's mercy, God's grace, means that as he has ministered, as it were, to us, as Jesus was our minister, so we also are the minister to others. And he goes on in this Corinthian context to show how they could do that in caring for, for others. Now, let's think a little bit more about this other theme which we've got here of, of glory. He talks in verse 10, that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Now, He's quoting there from Exodus 34 in the Septuagint, in verses 29 and 35, to talk about how the appearance of Moses' face was made glorious. He definitely has that in mind, and later on at the end of chapter 3, he's again quoting from Exodus 34 in the Septuagint. So he, he's talking there in verse 10 about the face of Moses. In you know, verse 7 He set the context. They couldn't uh, steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his face which glory was fading away and so although the King James messes a translation here a, a bit, the, the bottom line of what he's saying is that um, whenever Moses spoke to the angel face to face the glory of the angel reflected off Moses' face and because that scared Israel he put a veil over his face but what they didn't realise because they only sensed that there was a glory beyond that veil what they didn't realise was that that glory was actually fading was fading away and so he he draws this uh, contrast really um, that we are to look at the face of of Jesus uh, at the end of uh, 17 and, and 18 and that we look, he says verse 18, with unveiled face the, again the King James makes a mess here, we all with open face, the word there is unveiled um, we each with an unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, and a change into the same image from glory to glory, that is, it's uh, incremental, it's bit by bit, it's a process, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, or by the Lord of the Spirit, that is the Lord Jesus. Now, what does this all mean? Let's think about what glory is. Glory is not just a bright light that radiates off faces. Uh, that is how it, it can be used but when Moses wanted to see God, he wanted to see God's face and he wanted to see God's glory well he was not actually shown the face of God but what was he shown in Exodus 34 Exodus 34 is really the passage that Paul is sort of commenting on almost as a kind of Jewish kind of midrash, a rabbinic interpretation um, Exodus 34 when he uh, wants to see God's glory proclaimed, uh, verse 5, Exodus 34, verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, etc. So then, when he asks show me your glory. The answer to that is uh, the verse uh, that says that is uh, Exodus 33 verse 18 where Moses says I beseech you show me your glory. The answer to that, show me your glory is to declare the name. And again the name of God is not simply Yahweh or Jehovah or however you want to pronounce it. The name of God is essentially his characteristics That is the point, and you can see the first one of them is that the Lord is merciful and gracious, that his grace is there right up front in his whole character and his whole personality. So then the glory of God is his personality, his character, his characteristics. That's what it is, his justice, his judgment of sin, his kindness, his patience, etc. So then, we behold... Back in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So then he's saying that we are in the position of Moses. Now to Jewish minds this was almost blasphemous to associate us with Moses. They considered Moses to be sort of beyond imitation. That he was like an icon to be looked at from afar and wondered at. But he's saying in the same spirit of saying that we are sufficient. We are ministers of the new covenant because we are in Christ who is the minister of the new covenant and so he he's saying yes what happened to Moses happens to us as he beheld or or heard rather God's glory declared we see this and how do we see it we see it in the face of Jesus Christ now putting meaning into words what does that mean it means that insofar as we reflect upon him as a person we see all the characteristics of God but he said it's like looking in a mirror and what do you see in a mirror you see yourself but he's saying here that Jesus is like a mirror and the more you look in that mirror the more you see him but you look in a mirror and you see yourself right? so what he's saying is that you become changed incrementally, bit by bit from glory to glory you become like him just by looking at him But it almost sounds too simple, that insofar as we meditate upon Him and His character and His reflection of all that is true of God, His mercy and grace up front, but also His patience, His execution of of justice, uh, etc. Insofar as we reflect upon Him, or think about Him and His character, we will become like Him. And in that sense, the image that you see in the mirror is no longer yourself, but it's him. Because the more you think about him, the more you become like him. It's like if you're with somebody who you very much respect, you end up copying their body language, using the kind of phrases that they use. If they're American, they say, I guess, instead of I imagine, uh, or I suspect. Uh, or I think, as maybe a, a British uh, speaker of English might say, you know, those little things, start, you start to pick up on them. And so, in a far greater sense, this is what happens as we reflect and think upon Jesus and his character. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to have a Bible stuck in front of you 24-7. It's typically we say, I uh oh, yeah, nice idea this spirituality, but I don't have time. You see, I'm very busy. I got a family, I got demanding job, I'm this, I'm that. I've got to look after a sick relative. It takes up all my time. Sure, it does. That's life. But that doesn't mean that we cannot behold the glory of the Lord Jesus. And this is the essence of Christianity. To be spiritually minded to have the mind of the Spirit. But who is the Spirit? The Spirit is, it says here, verse 18, the Lord the Spirit, the Lord Jesus. He is the essence of the Spirit, the mind, of uh, the, the, the thinking of God, because his character was so perfect. And so here is the challenge, to think about him far more. And so we have the breaking of bread as a sort of a physical reminder that this is who we should be thinking about but that is once a week and the idea is not that we uh, for a few minutes every, every week, every Sunday let's say, think about him this is just a physical uh, reminder that sort of epitomises what our whole life should be thinking about him and this is the key to spiritual mindedness, how can we be like him, it's not by I think steel will, because we don't have that steel it seems to me within our characters, within our will but the more we feel this relationship with Him, the more we will become like Him. And in the end, when the Lord Jesus comes back, this is the whole idea: that those who have started that process, we shall be like Him. And I know that the, uh, the the meter of that hymn puts the emphasis on the word "like." We shall be like Him. But I think the real point is, uh, is of course, quoting from First uh, John we shall be like him. We, we with all our dysfunction and all that we just don't get it and all that stuff, we shall be like him. Oh, how rich the promise. And so he he says that uh, this glory is permanent. It's not fading away as Moses' glory was. And he's got the same idea in chapter 4 Um, verse 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then again in verse 18, while we look, we look, this is picking up the idea of them looking at the face of Moses and not realizing that the glory was fading, whereas we are to be looking or beholding 3 verse 18 the glory of the Lord Jesus as in a mirror so chapter 4 verse 18 we look we behold not at the things which are seen which are visible but at the things which are not seen mercy, patience, grace all these things justice these are not in themselves visible we behold not the things which are visible but the things which are not seen which are not visible the things which are seen are temporal the things which are not seen are eternal they're going to keep on. They're not going to be like the glory on Moses' face that faded away, that was passing away, as he says in chapter 3, verse 11. See, 3, verse 11, (coughs) that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remains, that which abides eternally, is glorious. And so it's the same idea, chapter 4, verse 18, we behold not the temporal things, uh, visible things, but the things which are not seen. And they are the things which are eternal. They are the things which do not vanish away. They are the things which, as he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, they are the things which remain, or which are eternal. And so, all that's going on in our lives, whatever is going on, this is going to fade away. It's all going to pass. This too shall pass is a little phrase that uh, I picked up from John Stibbs years ago, Uh, This too shall pass. This is absolutely true. Whatever crisis you are facing, even death itself, this too shall pass. There's only, in that sense, one thing that is eternal, and that is God and Jesus and His glory. His name is eternal. The things of the Spirit, the grace, the mercy, the justice, the kindness, the patience, these are the things which will last forever. And so you see that the colossal importance of being spiritually minded. If, in the course of your life, you allow your mind to be filled with so much junk, let's say from having uh, allowing yourself to be totally caught up in, in the things of your career, be it, you know, toilet cleaning or be it running a huge corporation, sort of same mentality, or because you allow yourself to be so caught up with the bitterness of a family feud or some argument or some issue, some politics or whatever that's going on, so caught up with the fortunes of your football team or cricket team or whatever it is, those things are, are passing away. And at the end of your life, what have you got to show? Nothing. But if the solely important thing for you is your relationship with Jesus and that beholding of him, they are the things that will last. It is character which will last. Insofar as that character, that spirit, as, as the Bible sometimes uh, expresses it, is the spirit of Jesus. Because that will last. The name of God, the spirit of God, the characteristics of God, the glory of God, all these things are you know, one on the same. These are the things which will last. And all the rest of it, including our own lives, our own bodies, and the rest of it, that will all pass away. But the spirit is what essentially is eternal. By spirit, you know how I'm using the term, the characteristics of God, the the spirituality that, by God's grace, we develop, not because we work at it, but simply by the being in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And so, because of that, because we have received this wonderful mercy, this ministry, as Paul keeps terming it here in in these two chapters, we in our turn minister that to others. And as he puts it in chapter 4 verse um, 15, he says, all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or rebound, or the Greek means to surge back to the glory of God, the idea is used in, in classical Greek about a tide surging back. You know, the the the, uh, the the surge of of waves. This grace that God has shown to us in saving us, in making us sufficient, in counting us as if we're in Christ. This should come surging back to Him. And how does it come surging back? It comes surging, surging back in our characters and in our service, our ministry to others, which is what he's now going to go on the rest of 2 Corinthians to talk about. So we can't be passive to these things. We are counted as if we are the Lord Jesus, as as if we are the minister of the New Covenant. We are sufficient. We have huge affirmation from God himself and from his own son. And, you know, no human letter, which is how he starts the section talking about how these these brethren demanded a letter from some committee before they thought he was a good bloke or something, you know, all that is absolutely nothing compared to the height of the fact that we are counted as if we are the Lord Jesus even the minister of the new covenant and in Jewish terms we are counted even greater than Moses in that we behold more than he beheld we behold the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus, and we are being changed into that image. So although God counts us as if we are Jesus, he also works through the Spirit, as he says in verse 18, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, or even as by the Lord the Spirit, he works in our lives by his Spirit to make us in reality, in fact, what he sees us as in prospect. And what we're just seeing here is in fact put in other words at more length in Romans 8 where throughout Romans 1-8 to Paul's been on about our status that we are in Christ by status and therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and then he goes on to start talking in, in Romans 8 about the ministry of the spirit uh, and he uses very similar language to what we've got here he also calls the Lord Jesus the Lord the spirit so then through his work in us which operates through our beholding of Him, through our being in His presence, through our continually bringing ourselves back, hour by hour in spiritual life, to Jesus. Him, what was He like? How would He have been in this situation? Through that whole process, the Lord Jesus is working through His Spirit to transform our personalities, to transform our characters. And we may in theory say, yeah sure, yeah, that's what we need, character transformation but it's going on now and this is the work of the Spirit and it is alive and well and it is going on and so this enables us, as I say, to understand Romans 8 because it's, this is why, having talked about imputed righteousness all through Romans 1-6, to uh, then he talks about our woeful situation in Romans 7, then in Romans 8 he says, he starts talking about the Spirit Uh, and why does he do this, Uh, and about transformation. Uh, He does this to make the same point as he's making here, that you, who are not sufficient of yourselves to think anything good about yourselves in one sense, you are counted as if you are sufficient and capable and able because you're in Christ, you're the minister of the new covenant just as he was, and therefore God is working through his spirit to turn you into the, the Christ that he sees you as being. And yet all this has got to issue in something practical. As Jesus was the minister of the new covenant, and as the ministry of the spirit to us uh, is so glorious, uh, chapter 3 verse 8 so we should minister to others and uh, as I say you read on the next few days and 2 Corinthians you'll, you'll see that that's his whole point that's why he keeps on about the idea of ministry service and different English words are used in the English translations but it's all the same Greek word this idea of ministering that if this has all been ministered to us and he is changing us to be like Jesus in reality not just in the way he sees us in, in, in status then we also must minister to others because one can't hold this great gift in their hands and somehow be passive to it.